0: Thank you. Well, it's a beautiful day where I am. I wish my computer thought that. The uh, computer's not computing. But that's all right. We will carry on anyway. Oh, I carry on $5, all the time. $5,000 for a computer and it can't handle a simple assignment. Well, I don't know if this cost $5,000. i am sure it costs a great deal less. I forget. But that's not the point. What we're here about is the Bible. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the rule of souls, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Once again, these are great readings. (laughs) Well, they all are, but let's start with the Hebrews uh, reading, uh, 12 verses 1 to 4. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I love that. Um, and, of course, remember that the word witness is, means the word in Greek is martyr. Now, I don't know that these are all martyrs, the, the heroes of faith that are mentioned in the letter of the Hebrews, but, but, but they're witnesses. And it's uh, interesting. When we talk about witnessing, we talk about sharing the story of how we met Jesus. In the early church, when they talked about witnessing, they, they meant they'd be talking to lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my, in the arena. Well, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. I think it's kind of interesting. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin. Well, what are burdens? Well, burdens, that, that's stuff we're dragging around. Jesus says, my burden is, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If it's a heavy burden, then I'm not sure that it's the Lord's burden. Um, you know, I I kind of, I kind of, worry about saying that because there are some, sometimes the Lord asks us to do very difficult things, but, um, the, 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 uh, the idea that, that, that something, ah, I have a story. There was a fellow who married, uh, his, the love of his life, a young bride and groom and shortly after uh, their marriage, there was a terrible, terrible car accident. And she was left quadriplegic and, and uh, much impaired. And he was faithful to her. Every Sunday he would dress her in the Sunday best and put her in her wheelchair and take her to church. And they grew old together this way. And a new pastor came in and said, I have such great respect for what you're doing. And and the fellow said, What? Well, what am I doing? He said, well, I mean, the way you are so attentive to your wife and, and you, you take such care of her and bring her to church every Sunday. And the guy just looked at the pastor. He, he was dumbfounded. He looked at the pastor and said, but Father, I love her. If you do something for love, it is not a burden. <laughs> not the way, it might be a difficult thing to do, but but when we carry that burden for the sake of love... Um, that's that's different. That's different. So, um, let's see. Uh, uh, the, the the burden here. The, the word that they use is "onkon," um, uh, uh, which which means a weight. Uh, that's what it means. So let us put aside every every uh, heavy thing. Um, and quite honestly, why is something heavy for me? Well, because. I complain about hard work, and it's it's heavy because it's affecting me. But when when it's done for love, uh, that's different. All right, and laying aside all uh, um, all of the the, the uh, laying laying aside all the weight and and um, every and this is a great line. It means uh, 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 tangling. Uh, every entangling is it's a fascinating word you uh, it means encircling or, or distracting you know seeing something shiny i guess it literally means the things that stand around us um it's it, it kind of like you know you're you're distracted or you're you're entangled so I think that's a neat way to look at it that that casts aside every. Every entangling sin. Uh, um, That's why they they translate every burden and sin that clings to us. That's not a a bad translation, but the idea is it entangles us. You know, sin is a terrible burden. We always think that the law of God is hard to bear. Oh, it may be difficult at times, but sin is a lot harder to bear in the long run. The devil is such a practiced liar, and the father of lies scripture calls him, He tells us, this is going to be great. You do this, things are going to be wonderful. And they're wonderful for about 30 seconds. And then the weight of sin, the guilt of sin, the destructive nature of sin. You know, you commit a good sin and it affects all the people who love you and all the people who you love, all the people you serve, Uh, that you you are crippled in your ability to love people by sin because, uh, you know... uh, you're a bank robber, and you think I'm going to rob this bank and I'll buy my family nice stuff while you get caught, you go to jail and then your family's out on a limb. That sort of thing. That, that sin is a terrible burden. So rid yourself of every, every heavy weight and every sin that, that, that traps you in. And persevere in running the race that lies before us, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus the leader and perfecter of faith now this is a fascinating line what does this mean the leader and perfecter of faith well remember trust that's what that's what we um, i always tell you to translate faith as trust the leader and perfecter of trust well that doesn't help the word for leader here is i think it's archegon it it means it means the the, the prince or the one who goes first the one who who leads first and perfecter it really means the finisher of our faith so jesus is the beginning of our trust and the object, the goal of our trust. I remember uh, <clears throat> when I was in college, there was a, in seminary college, there was a, uh, uh, a friend who uh, was in seminary at the time, and he was involved in the charismatic movement. And he got into a group that thought, oh boy, we got a seminarian. It's almost as good as having a priest. He'll run the group. And this guy was kind of fresh into this way of life and you know they soon had him given the talks and arranging the music ministry and setting up the book table this guy was exhausted and he just couldn't do it anymore and i said to him you know don't feel you have to do it well they'll be very disappointed with with me if i don't do all these things and and i'll be disappointed with me i said who are you doing it for i'm doing it for jesus well you know when you open your eyes in when you when you close your eyes in this world and you pray who's there with you he says jesus and who do you imagine you'll see when you close your eyes the last time in death he said jesus and i said everything else in between is kind of fluff he's the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega and that's what's being said here he is the initiator and the finisher of our faith in other words he he trusted before us and teaches us how to trust he's the one we're trusting and he's the one uh, who we will trust in the end. So uh, realize why you're doing what you're doing. It's for for the love of Christ, and it isn't because well the committee's counting on you. And you know, you I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm retired, so I can say this. You don't have to be on every committee. <laughs> <laughs> and And uh, you don't have to be in every project. You pray about it. You say, I wonder if this is what the Lord wants me to do. And if you have the conviction after prayer and after thinking and, you know, really trying to discern it, that you have the conviction that, yeah, the Lord wants me involved in this, go for it. But just because people go and say, oh, good, we really need your help. Well, let me pray about it. What do you mean pray about it? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that this is where God wants me. You say that, they'll look at you like you're crazy, but that's the way you're supposed to do it. So he, for the joy, the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that lay before him? Returning to his father. And that's what I said to this friend of mine. You're going to see Jesus. That that's the joy we're waiting for, to, to behold God and and... That's the whole thing. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. Now, remember, the word sin is hamartia. It means, in its root meaning, it means to miss the target. It was a term taken from sporting, and it's the same in Hebrew, uh, uh, that, that it means to miss. You know, If a, if, if a rocket uh, goes astray in Israel and falls into the Mediterranean, they say, the rocket sinned today by falling into the Mediterranean. It's the same word. Now, of course, sin implies moral failure uh, in, the, in the context here. But, you know, people come to confession week after week, month after month. They say, Father, how come i got to keep coming to confession to confess the same old sins? And I always say, well, because eventually you might hear that they're actually sins. Um, but the real reason is a little different. It's a, it's a confession. It's an agreement with God. Bless me, Father, for I have failed. Now, I don't want you to change the words of the formula, use the formula, but what you're saying is, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Bless me, Father, for I have failed. I failed to be the spouse I should be. I failed to be the parent, the son, the daughter, the friend, the relative, the the co-worker. I failed to be the priest I should be. You see, when you say that, it's good for me to go very regularly kneel in front of another human being and say, bless me, father. I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. <laughs> That's what sin is. So this is our battle. Our battle is against failure in mean, Christ is the great success. He is the perfecter, the, 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 perfecter of our, of our trust. He's the one who, who, who didn't fail. So in your struggle against failure, You've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. So, And we could go into long disquisition about the timing of that, but I don't want to. I want to go on to the gospel reading. You know, was this written early? Was it written late? I think it was written fairly early because persecution hit the church right at the beginning. All right, let's go to the gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter, the 21st verse. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. (laughs) In other words, they weren't going to let him out. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter's at the point of death. You know, I, I, I may be stretching this a bit, but Jesus at one point was excommunicated from the synagogue, and I wonder if this incident happened afterwards. Um this this is uh this is a big deal that that um, Jairus would probably have been willing to say oh that Jesus is terrible terrible but then his daughter got sick <laughs> and and she was she was dying and all bets were off he knew what was important instead of his social standing <clears throat> people's opinion of him in the in the in the synagogue this was more important than anything. So he came to Jesus, who was rather controversial, and he said, I don't care what they think. I need your help. So he went off with him, and a large crowd followed him. Then the, the, the story is broken in two because a woman comes up who's afflicted with the hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, what I'm about to say is going to upset people, but that's all right. Um, this woman is identified with Veronica of Veronica's Veil. Vale. Believe it or not, there is a very old Christian story that this woman was a Greek woman from uh, Caesarea Maritima, which was uh, Caesarea on the coast. And uh, her name was Berenike, which is very similar to Veronica. Uh, So Berenike, this woman, Berenike, and this is just a very ancient story. It's interesting. In the the movie, what was it, The Chosen? They reflect this, that this was a Greek woman. Uh, But uh, she was... Very unclean. She was not Jewish. She had a hemorrhage of blood, and this was a problem. Well, uh, this was this was uh, the story that's told. I believe it's in uh, Eusebius of Caesarea's History of the Church, which is about uh, 350 A.D. Um, says that she was so grateful that she went back and had a, a statue of Jesus made and put in a public place. And somehow that conflated with the story of, the, of, of Veronica, they kind of meshed together. Uh, but uh, is he saying there was no Veronica? No, I'm not saying that. I wasn't there. But it's interesting that Berenike and Veronica seem to be conflated in, in uh, the historical memory, but that's just kind of fun and academic. So don't worry about it. All right. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and spent all that she had. She only grew worse. She heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. This is very important. Um, the, the, um, this is reflecting Malachi, the fourth chapter, the second verse. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. This is a prophecy. The the word in Hebrew, though, is a little odd, because uh, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The Messiah was going to have healing in his wings. I didn't know the Messiah had wings. No, wing is the word for, in Hebrew. The, 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 the They didn't have a, a specific word for hem. The hem of a garment was the wing of the garment. This is what I have read. Uh, so this idea that the wing of his garment had healing in it. Now, this is very interesting because... I don't know that this was practiced at the time of Christ, but I think it was. Uh, There were—I know this was a practice. There were tassels on the edge of of garments because the Scripture says that you're you're not supposed to uh, that you have to wear tassels, and the reason for wearing the tassels is respect for the law the the torah the, the 613 commandments of the law in fact is I know they, they're called tzitzit the the modern tassels there are 613 knots in them uh, and a Jew will wear this garment um, that you might see an orthodox Jew with strings coming out from under his shirt or his belt those are the tassels and what malachi is saying is that this obedience to the law, these tassels which remind us of the law of God, will have healing in them, if if the guy's the Messiah, and uh, this is this is what's being referred to here. So she she has heard that there's healing in the tassels of the Messiah. So she touches the the hem of his garment, and she was instantly healed. Now Jesus, fascinating Jesus aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around to the crowd and asked, Who has touched my clothes? He didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know. The disciples said to him, See how the crowd is pressing upon you? You ask who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Jesus, in his full humanity uh he was he he had a fully human nature and a fully divine nature it was the human nature before the fall of adam and he didn't know all things automatically he only knew what the father was pleased to tell him you know i think that's important to understand that 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 jesus had given his omniscience his all knowingness up when he became incarnate and he he knew what adam would know and adam only knew what the father was pleased to tell him so Uh, the knowledge of Jesus in Jesus humanity. This makes it clear. There were limits to his knowledge. That's because he was the obedient son of the father, not because he was dumb like me. He was, he was absolutely brilliant. And, and even just in a human sense, but he had limited knowledge because of his obedience to the father. He knew only what the father was pleased to tell him. So, he says to her daughter, "Your faith has saved you." Um, now I've heard commentators say that that uh, that, that this this daughter business um, has to do with uh, uh, the it's it's the word because he's going to call the this this uh, this daughter of Jairus. He's going to call her essentially daughter. It's a different word in Greek, so I don't know. Um, uh, the word in Greek is little girl, a little maiden, and this word is literally daughter. Thugater. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't know if that links the story. But what does link the story is Jesus refusing to say that a human being is unclean because this this woman with the hemorrhage was unclean. And the... the uh, uh, a dead, a dead body was unclean. He was not afraid of ritual uncleanness, that he didn't see that as, as the, as the uh, most important or the, the main point of the law. Well, he goes on <coughs> and uh, he sees this, this young woman. And again, he, he, what, what pulls these together is faith. Daughter, your trust has saved you. Jesus was a rabbi, a Gentile woman who was ritually unclean, wanted to touch him. He should have had her arrested. He didn't. He healed her. And uh, um, uh, the, the, they're telling him, uh, your daughter's died. And Jesus said, don't worry. Just have faith. But trust me. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful story, and we'll end it in the Word of the Day. I want to talk about it, but but this is one I think one of the most beautiful scenes in the Bible. But you understand that Jesus, Jesus, I think the thing that unites the two stories is actually the hem of his garment, that that uh, he had such profound relationship to the Law of Moses and respect for the Law of Moses that he could see that the heart of it was compassion and not simply uh, uh, following these, these arbitrary interpretations of rules in order to impress other people. Um, Jairus was not interested in impressing other people. Neither was Jesus. They were interested. Jesus was interested in faith and Jairus and the woman with the hemorrhage exhibited faith. It, uh, they, they exhibited trust. So, I, these, this isn't just an accidental inclusion of a story within a story that they're, in a sense, talking about the same thing. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, let us go to uh, a break. We will come back with letters, and we will open the phones at 888-914-9149, 888 Hi, this is Father Rich Simon. Have you ever dreamt of seeing the sights in Italy? St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, Drew Mariani in the Colosseum fighting to the death. More info on our September Eucharistic Revival Pilgrimage at slash Italy. Seats are limited, not in the Colosseum necessarily, but on, on the pilgrimage. Great song, Andre Crouch. I, oh, it is Jesus. I've touched the hem of His garment. Now you know what that hem bit is about. It's prophecy Malachi four two. He, the Son of Righteousness, will rise having healing in His wings. All right, all right. And, I, and that's about the, that healing in His wings. The hem of His garment is about His His devotion to the law that He was not a rebel against the law he fulfilled the law instead of simply obeyed it which is um, now don't use that as an excuse to sort of interpret the law as you want the laws of god are gifts they i always say they're like the yucky sign on the bottle of bleach to keep a kid from swallowing it the law of god the ten commandments are grace uh they're a gift to us but that said let's go to letters I got a letter from from Wayne who said that uh uh in his German language course he heard a phrase that made him think of me merste einen obsalat ohne tomaten I want to order a fruit salad without tomatoes, but I always say that what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is the awareness that a tomato is in fact a fruit. Wisdom is the good sense not to turn it into a fruit salad. Oh good I've never heard it <laughs> really good grief. I've never heard it said in German, but now I have. Thank you, and well on to your question. I've been pondering a theme I've heard lately in a very variety of contexts. Um uh the idea that the devil hates a particular prayer or practice. Why should we care if something we do upsets the devil? Because we're in a spiritual warfare, it isn't just upsetting the devil, it weakens the devil. Uh, that that uh, um, our motivation, our motivation for doing anything be because it pleases the Lord. Yes, and to conquer the devil pleases the Lord. Uh, um, uh, that... that uh, we're in a spiritual warfare, and I think people forget that. Uh, my friend, Father Branken often says that the real dispute in the church is not between so-called liberal and conservative, but between those who believe in supernatural reality and those who don't. So often in the church we think, well, we'll form a committee uh, and we'll get the project done, and we'll have this new project that's going to make everything perfect. In my priesthood, about every three years, there's been a new project that's going to make everything perfect, give or take. And so far, (laughs) they've all been pretty much the same. Um, But I digress, you know, that that when something is founded in prayer, it can't fail. When something is not founded in prayer, it can't succeed. I mean, real prayer. Did God tell you to do this? You know, I I think that that's very important. The devil, I, I think I said this earlier in the week, the devil wants to shake our leading. He said to Eve, did God really say that if you eat the fruit of the tree, you will die? You surely will not die. That's the first question asked of humanity. Has God said? And our answer should be, yes, he has said. So you get it straight. If if you think this is from the Lord, do it. And if you don't think it's from the Lord, don't do it. And I'm talking about the governance of, of a church, you know, that, that, um, We come up with all these things and, you know, I've been so many meetings in the church where God doesn't even get a vote, but I digress, Well, that's what I do mostly. All right, let us go to blessings. Um, This is from uh, Ralph. Uh, I was at Mass Sunday and had an unusual experience in relation to confirmation candidate who had completed a confirmation retreat. The priest, after he closed the mass and gives his final blessing, asks the parishioners to raise a hand to bless the confirmation candidates as they exit the church. I'm concerned about this because it seemed reminiscent of the Roman Empire and Nazi Germany. You know, that sounds screwy, but I, 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 I agree with you, Ralph, that I remember uh, um, we, we used to have these huge youth rallies back when I was a um, uh, uh, a priest in a Puerto Rican parish, we would have anywhere between 500 to a thousand kids at these big rallies. And, uh, and I remember uh, this Jewish fellow was visiting the parish with his Christian wife, walked in and they all had their hand up like that blessing. The person who was about to speak. And he would, he was just, he almost went into shock because it really looked like the Nazi salute. So if you're going to do that, father, or anybody I was just raise both your hands if you can the both hands are raised in blessing the imposition of hands is with two hands so if you're going to do that you know and there are moments to do that to ask the entire uh the entire congregation to 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 pray for people have them raise both hands instead of just the one because it does look very strange so oddly enough Ralph um you're, you're Odd question is something I've experienced too. So there you go. I hope that helps. Yeah, and and, and the one hand, it does look odd, doesn't it? Because people raise the one hand and it does look a little odd. But (laughs) raise both hands. All right. That's my suggestion. All right. I'm a confirmation sponsor and would like to give a Bible to uh, the person who's being confirmed. What Bible do you recommend? How old is she, first of all? And you know, there is a wonderful, wonderful Bible that no great scholar would even think of approving. It's called the, I think it's called, let me pull it up, the Cartoon Bible. Uh, it, it's, its uh, or the Picture Bible, not the Cartoon Bible, the Picture Bible. Uh, and young people love it because it really does kind of, you know, portray I don't know if, even for a 14-year-old, oddly enough, um, yeah, because it's vivid, the voice might just said, for a 14-year-old, I think even for a 14-year-old, especially if it's a a boy, but this is a girl, and she might, uh, 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 you could give her this Bible and a nice, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the one we use, The, 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 the Catholic Study Bible, a nice Catholic Study Bible, give her both. The, I I know I know P, kids who were raised on this uh picture bible um it's uh, christianbook.com i think you can get it uh kids who were raised on that and then they went to Wheaton, and they knew the bible better than than the than the Wheaton people the catholics were better at the bible because it gives you the sense of of the story of scripture and a real scholar will get all upset by this. But, yeah, I'm always telling you I'm not a real scholar. I just play one on the radio. So it's, it's it's even for a 14-year-old or 13-year-old. So give her both. Give her the serious Catholic study Bible and give her this one. And then find out which one she read first. Okay. Well, let's move along here. Where was I? Okay, let me get rid of that and that. And find my letters again, which I've lost way down the column here. There, there they are. All right, now let's see what what are we doing time wise. This is um um uh this is a strange question that I don't quite understand. It was someone who called in who couldn't stay on the line. Mike from Wheaton. How do you reconcile the fact the Apostles' Creed Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but the Nicene Creed the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son? I don't I don't see that as a contradiction. Uh, that that the Holy Spirit, if you understand the word spirit, means breath, that the breath of God filled the Blessed Mother, and Christ was conceived in her womb. The breath of God is eternal, and so it wasn't, you know, first A and then B, if that's what the question is. So remember, when you see the word spirit, the Holy Spirit, translates as breath or wind, and I don't think it really is contradictory at all. Let's see here. Um, now, this is a tough one. Uh, um, Bill from Marshville, Wisconsin. Where in the Bible does it say uh, say we should pray for the dead? I'm going to talk about this with a Lutheran. Good luck, uh, because it's the Book of Maccabees. Um, uh, let me pull it up. And they don't respect the Book of Maccabees. Luther decided it wasn't biblical. Uh, the... the uh, uh, the 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 bible um, uh, let's see here let me pull it pull back uh Maccabees let me see 67 okay there's actually 67 bible verses about uh, oh that's that's different let me pull back on that I want to find the Maccabees verse uh, <clears throat> all right let's see two Maccabees 1246. It is a holy and a right, a wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from sins. If you tell that to a Lutheran they say, that's not in the Bible, it's in the book of Maccabees, that's not the Bible. Uh, all Christians for the first 1,500 years, and most Christians now think it was. Uh, most Protestant groups think it wasn't. So you're not going to win that argument. Um, what I would say to them is that... Uh, uh, you know, that that uh, those who die in the Lord are not dead. Jesus says that, and we continue to pray for them. It's not an argument you're going to win um, on this ground. If the book of Maccabees is scripture, then it's biblical to pray for the dead. If it's not, then, well, there's no Bible verse, but there is. There is very clear. All right. Now, he'll have lots of Bible verses that can be twisted to say that you shouldn't pray for the dead, but the Jews did it, the early Christians did it, and we do it. So there you go. All right, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back with the word of the day. And we are going to open, well, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888 914 Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about the Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash UDallas. Father Simon says... You're listening to a man who has a hard time walking and chewing gum. On Relevant Radio.
2: Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can. Yes, I can, yes I can.
0: If you anything believe that, I'll be give like you the gum. I don't better. chew. Better. I never chew gum. I prefer to walk. All right, I wanna before we launch into phone calls and the word of the day first. I wanna somebody called with a fascinating question yesterday and couldn't stay on the line about about um the angels, God and, and the devil fighting over the body of Moses. God did not fight over the body of Moses. However, if you read, have you read the letter of Jude? It's one chapter. It's only one chapter. Jude, the ninth verse says this. But, well, this is this is uh, uh, the, the chapter. Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. In other words, that uh, the the warfare we're in, uh, Michael, the archangel, how do you put this? Uh, Michael, the archangel, really took the devil seriously. Uh, The mightiest of the angels did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm always accusing people of all sorts of things. Why were they fighting over the body of Moses, lest it be worshipped? The devil would have wanted to keep the body of Moses and have a great tomb for Moses so that he would be worshipped by the Israelites. And Moses went up the mountain, I think was at Mount Nebo, he went up uh, and died there secretly and privately, and the angels took custody of his body. But apparently... Um, There was there was a fight about it. So, uh, the devil, the devil, you know, Michael the archangel even respected the devil's power. Uh, I don't mean respect; as in had reverence for it, but was aware of it. And you know, you know, a lot of people take the devil very casually. I will never forget. May he rest in peace. A friend of mine who had been involved in in. Caribbean Voodoo when he was a kid and had a great conversion to the Lord, and he said that he wasn't afraid of the devil. And he said, "Hit me with your best shot." And I thought, "Don't say that, brother. Don't say that." He endangered himself, and he his life was very tragic. Um, I don't know if that was the instant, but he didn't. He thought himself. You know, we have no power over the devil except the power that God gives us. And this, you know, I, I mentioned a little while ago about Jesus in his in his humanity, uh, that, that Jesus in his humanity had had uh, he was he did only what the father told him. And I think we have to have that attitude. I have no power in myself. I have power only insofar as God is pleased to give it to me spiritually. But that's just, it's kind of complicated. Let's go to the word of the day. All right. I just think this is one of the most beautiful things in the scripture. Oddly enough, this phrase, talitha kum. um, It means little girl uh, or maiden. I say to you, rise. Uh, The talitha kum, little girl, get up. Kum is to rise in Hebrew. I think in Hebrew, but this is in Aramaic. It is the tradition that and from, it comes to us from the earliest days of the church, that, that the Gospel of Mark is really the reminiscences of Peter as told to Mark. And so there are a number of Aramaic references in the Gospel of Mark. We, we see when he says to the, 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 the deaf mute, he says, Ephata, Be opened. quotes the Aramaic word, and Aramaic was, of course, St. Peter's first language, and I believe the tradition. But you can see this. We went into that room. He took me and James and John, and that girl was as dead as a stone. He took her hand, and he said, Talitha cum." He was still hearing it in Aramaic. I think that's what's going on. I think that's why Mark quotes Jesus speaking Aramaic. Talitha kum. Because these were reminiscences of Peter. Uh, very touching. And uh, uh, we're hearing, you know, people talk about could these be the very words of Christ? Some scholars say no, these are the very words of Christ. You can see him looking at that little girl and saying, Talitha cum, little girl, get up. Well, oh, that said, let's go to phones. This is Smart, Maxwell Smart. Rosemary, what have we got? What can I do for you?
1: Father Simon, I hope you can help me explain to a friend that has asked me about John three thirteen. No man has ascended into heaven and so forth. And I know he's talking to a Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and as it goes on to, through verse 21, he talks about eternal life and judgment and so forth. Um, but anyway, um, can you explain so I can... Better understand and explain.
0: Explain
1: the, the, what this means. <laughs> no man has ascended into heaven.
0: Yeah, that up to that point, uh, no no man had had ascended into heaven. Well, did, what about Moses? Well, he died on the mountain. What about Elijah, Who's taken up in a in a fiery chariot? Uh, didn't he ascend into heaven? And and uh, what about um, uh, was it? Uh, Enoch, who walked with God, uh, God took him Mm -hmm. and he walked with God. Was it that ascending into heaven? You know, I think that that sometimes we can be a little too uh, chemical. You know, this is like a chemical formula, and it's not. But no one has ascended into heaven. They were taken up into heaven. They were what we would call assumed into heaven. The point is that Jesus ascended on his own power, being the Son of God. No man has ascended into heaven. Some have been taken up, but none have gone up. Does that make sense to you?
1: Okay, so then when I read on and it, it talks about eternal life and light. That means part of what you're saying. They're assumed to heaven, into the light.
0: Well, is that it? we don't know that. you, you got to remember that when we're talking about the final things in eternal judgment, we're talking about time, you know, well, how come they got to go to heaven before the final judgment or before the judgment or before Christ died on the cross? When you're talking about God, there is no such thing as before or after. He is eternal. Every moment is now for him. And the exceptions that he has made, you know, when, you know, the, the, the final judgment, let's talk about the final judgment. There's the particular judgment in which I'm judged for my sins and I'm Go to heaven, hell, or we Catholics believe purgatory, which I think is a great thing. Uh, Then there's the final judgment. Well, we've always been judged. Why do we have to be judged again? I don't think we are judged again. I think that when we die, we are transported into this timeless realm. And the the final judgment and the particular judgment, as far as God is concerned, are the same exact moment. So the resurrection of the dead at the end of time is the same moment as the resurrection or the the assumption into heaven of of Elijah and of Enoch. You follow? That you can't say, well, before or after, when you're dealing with the things of God. Just like you can't say, God learns, He doesn't learn, He knows. Uh, I have to live in time, I have to learn. For God, every moment is now, every place is here. So to kind of restrict God, well, this is the way I read the scripture, God. you got to do it the way I understand it. No, he doesn't. As I say always, God has this problem. He thinks he's God. Does that help a little? Yeah. Uh,
1: so is it kind of like you need to look at the bigger picture, so to speak, until just instead of just a narrow
0: piece of scripture? Yeah, you could say it that way, but it isn't the bigger okay. picture. It's looking at okay. the smallness of my mind. It isn't the bigger picture. It's the littleness of my vision. The smallest of my mind. Yeah, yeah. I I think it has to be this way because this is the way I think of it. God is not limited by my conception of God. Thank you. you Have them listen to this segment, you know, that that God is the master of time and space. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, time as it's marked in heaven is quite different than time as it's marked here. For God, all moments are now, all places are here. So I hope that helps.
1: Yeah, it help, does help. And I'll continue to pray and discern all this. So thank you very
0: much. Uh, for all right. Well, Father God, God bless. I'm honored. You'll listen. God thank bless. You. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, bye. Let's go to Leo from Minneapolis. Are you with us, Leo?
2: Hi, Father Simon. Yes, I am. Um, yes. Calling uh, re- calling regarding First Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul talks about expelling a a member from the community because of his sin. Mm -hmm. And we had quite a lengthy discussion about that, and I think, if I remember correctly, part of the concern was just that question of how do we as sinners, in a sense, pronounce judgment on another person's sins to the point where we say, you you can't be part of our community any longer. Well, let's look at the specific
0: sin. Um, The specific uh, sin, I'm trying to find that I think it was a a sexual immorality in which, if I recall the text, it was sexual immorality in which a man was living with his father's wife. Uh, Yes. Yeah, that was the thing. There are just uh, this guy is not repentant. That's one thing. You know, if the sinner refuses to repent, then you got... I remember uh, <clears throat> an old preacher said, no problem. If someone's in error, not a problem. If someone has a spirit of error, then you can't hang around with them. It's like a cancer. <clears throat> he says, your boasting is not mm-hmm. good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? You got to deal with it. Uh as he says you, when you, he says, uh, shouldn't you rather go on into mourning and put, put out of your fellowship, the man who has been doing this, that, that if the sinner repents, you take him back. But this is an instance of an unrepentant sinner. Uh, um,
2: right.
0: that, that, that the forgiveness of the church, uh, has always, uh, included the person back into the community if they repent. Uh if they refuse to repent, you know, I always say sin isn't a problem for Catholics. We have confession. We have the sacrament of confession. The the problem is when you refuse to admit the sin. When you say, Oh, this isn't a sin. You know, that's the sin of presumption. So I think that's what he's talking about here. And the idea of handing him over to the devil. In other words uh, you're saying, fine, you want to live that way? You want to expose yourself to the problems of the devil? We'll see you when you want to repent. Uh, so that when you are assembled, I'm with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That the community isn't to lose interest in his salvation. That, that fine, let him, let him make a mess of his life, and then maybe he'll repent. So I think this is about unrepentant sin. Does that help a little?
2: Yeah. So it, it's one thing. We all have sins that we commit over and over again, but we sure. we attempt to. We, we go to confession. We ask for forgiveness. We try to do better, but this guy was not yeah. doing any of that. And two, no, it is no. kind of the public nature, the public nature of his sin. Well, that... <sighs>
0: Uh, it was a scandal to, to non-believers. That was part of it. And if he had repented and said, no, I was wrong, that would have, that would have, uh, saved the issue. Uh, um, but his, his continuing, I I think his, you know, we have the, I have heard it said that the, the Christians are the only army that shoots its own wounded. We are so ready. There are whole denominations that are built on shunning sinners, and that idea of, of shunning a sinner, if someone is a public and and uh, uh, persistent sinner, then they're excommunicated. Even the Spanish Inquisition gave you three chances. I mean, you know, we talked about the Inquisition the other day. Uh, um, but we're ready to, to just kick someone to the curb for something, you know, that they said on Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Cardinal George said, we live in an age in which... All things are permitted, yet nothing is forgiven. And, and I think that we have to understand as Christians that we are a people full of forgiveness. However, we are also an honest people. If someone refuses to repent, then we say, well, good luck with that. We'll see you when you're ready to repent. So I think I would, I would read it that way instead of a, a, a permanent, uh, uh, there's no hatred involved. Let's see if we can take one more. John, are you with us from Houston, Texas? We just got a couple minutes.
2: With you, Father Simon, uh, going back to what you were talking about and lifting your hand in blessing, and uh, mm. I think uh, uh, you remember <laughs> Mr. Spock from Star Trek.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Live, live long and we shall make a Spock sign. Live long and prosper. Make,
2: yeah, and uh, Leonard Nimoy <laughs> learned that in synagogue. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a, it was a blessing sign in synagogue. You'll see it in Jewish, uh, in Jewish art. That is kind of funny. Yes, it is. The Spock sign. Well, thank you for that insight, John. God bless. and you're, let's. we got Joe. Are you with us, Joe? We have one yeah. more from Hello, the, uh, the Grinch real quick.
1: Thank you. Thank you for yes. taking my call. I want to know what it means to be a born-again Christian. A friend of mine oh, said dear. a prayer for me when I was sick, and now he calls me a, a born-again Christian, and I don't. Send me $93. I want to know if I could send it back because I'm a Catholic,
0: not a born-again Christian. Oh well, Catholics are born again. We just think that baptism is part of being born again. I would just thank them and say, "Yes, Jesus is wonderful, and I love Him." You know, they—they they did. It's a mere—it's a mere terminology. And if you listen tomorrow, and if my producer will remind me, I will talk about this being born again idea because, uh, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be something us. We believe in being born again, but it's part—part part of it is baptism. Speaking of being born again, well, Drew is on the radio again. I suppose that's kind of like being born again.